Hello everyone and welcome back to Distributed Morphs. Today's guest is Dan Siddiqui. Dan is a professor in linguistics at Carleton University. He is an expert on morphological meta-theory and other topics in morphology, particularly in distributed morphology. Today, Dan and I talk about morpho morphological meta-theory uh, along with some of the basics of distributed morphology. Dan is an old friend of mine, having overlapped with me for a year at the University of Arizona. Uh, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Uh, it's one of the longest we've had so far on the podcast. Uh, hey, Dan, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, so I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Uh, so I want to start off by talking about, I know you... Uh, co-edited a book on uh, morphological meta-theory. Um, so I guess let's just start off. Can you tell me what the hell you mean by this term meta-theory? So uh, meta-theory uh, is shorthand really for philosophy of science. Uh, philosophy of science is, generally speaking, the kinds of rules that we put into making good theories, good hypotheses, what makes good science. Um my favorite example of meta-theory is the uh, flying spaghetti monster <laughs> or pastafarianism, which is meant to showcase, okay. it's meant to showcase like what happens when you do science bad and don't follow the rules of philosophy of science. And you get things like flying spaghetti monster is responsible for gravity. Uh, so uh, that's what philosophy of science is. Philosophy of science is essentially the rules of what makes uh, a good theory or what makes good theories. So meta theory gets his name because it is theory about theory. Okay. And so how does that work? So obviously when we're talking about morphological meta theory, we're talking about the different theories of different morphological theories. Yeah. So, so sorry, go ahead. No, go, okay, go so, ahead. So yeah. I'm a, uh, I'm a morphologist um, by trade. Morphology is mostly what I do. So uh, when I talk about meta theory, I don't really have much interesting to say outside of morphology. So the kind of meta theory I work on primarily is uh, morphological meta theory. Um, so the, that's the book that Heidi and I, Heidi Harley and I did. Oh, when was that? 2016? Yeah, we finished it in 2016. It took like five years to finish. Uh Books always take longer than you think. I have, uh, I have some uh, a editor nagging me right now for some overdue uh, uh, proofs on some stuff, and uh, they're not even that overdue. And it, they're only overdue because of this whole COVID crisis. But um, yeah, uh, they take way longer than you ever would imagine. Yes, they do. Yeah, um, especially. Uh like for when that was happening uh i think heidi had just gotten tenure and i was or if she hadn't just gotten tenure she was very shortly afterwards and i was uh uh very early in my career i was still an assistant or very early in assistant like i think i had my first year in tenure track and we just had this idea at an lsa where we're like hey people don't talk about what makes good theory we're all in different camps we should totally do that and then suddenly found ourselves editing a book many years later <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh so yeah it could it it uh it spirals and it takes a long time but yeah absolutely uh, but it turned out to be a very good book in the morphological 
theory literature because it got people talking that had not been talking for a long time. Um, so what are some of the different like theories that are out there in, in morphology? So I know we have a, a, a wide base of our, of the listeners here. So, you know, some people are very versed in morphological theory and others um, are really just getting their first exposure by listening to this. So it can be, um, it can be hard to kind of get a view of the whole world of morphology because morphology, morphological theory is so insular, which is the thing that we talked about in the book. Uh, for instance, um, way back in the day when you and I were going to the same school, I, I was vaguely aware as a graduate student that there were like these bad guy lexicalists who were all uh, um, like, uh, let's say, uh, lost. <laughs> but uh, the first episode uh, was me and Heidi. And uh, I think the that we basically talked about that right. in, in almost those exact right. terms. <laughs> Like that. This is this is the sense that you have when you study morphology at the University of Arizona. Um, so I had this idea that there were these vague lost souls, but otherwise everybody was doing uh, distributed morphology. It wasn't until I started really working on meta theory that I found that uh, this is really not an accurate description of the world. Um, it is true that in North America, most. Um, most theories are morpheme based and distributed distributed morphology is the kind of king of the morpheme based theories. But the other half of the world uh, is largely word based. And I'll talk about the distinction between morpheme and words later on. But uh, in that half of the world, especially when we're talking about Europe, um, uh, the word based theories are kind of king in particular, the the one word-based theory that stands out as the the equivalent to DM is paradigm function morphology, which comes out of Greg Stump's book in 2001. Um, that is kind of the big current word-based theory. And then there's a bunch of other word-based theories that are smaller, and there's a bunch of other morpheme-based theories, such as nanosyntax, that are smaller. But those are kind of the two big worlds right now, where kind of unsurprisingly the word based theories live in Europe where the data the main data they have around them at ease at arm's reach is Indo-European languages which lend themselves to a word based approach and then in North America the data that we have around us are the various um, indigenous american languages which tend to be, lend themselves towards morpheme based approaches so so this split is this geographic split makes a lot of sense Awesome. So, um, yeah. So do you want to kind of help us understand a little bit more about how uh, this morpheme, like the difference between a morpheme and a word and why this sort of matters for this sort of breakdown of a, of uh, th these different approaches to morphology? So uh, if uh, a lot, again, if, if you take linguistics in, um, in uh, North America you are very likely to be shocked to discover that the existence of the morpheme is, or, or which is the morpheme hypothesis is 
very, very controversial. <laughs> you would never know that if you, and like, there are people who get to be like professors of linguistics before they discover that the morpheme hypothesis is controversial, such as, say, me. <laughs> um, uh, the reason the morpheme hypothesis is controversial is th um, depending on the languages you look at, it's really easy to see things that that we think of as morpheme boundaries and things that we think of as um, hierarchical structure in words. But there are other languages, particularly Indo-European languages, where everything is kind of just mushed into one kind of pot. And it can be very hard to tell uh, where one morpheme begins and one morpheme ends. So I'll give English examples because you and me are speaking English. <laughs> um, in the case of a word like walked, it's really easy to see that there's kind of clear morpheme boundaries. There's a t that's kind of stuck on the end of something that is obviously walk, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, I can figure out that one of those things is a stem and one of those things is an affix. And I'll just give a name for stem and affixes will be morphemes. Uh, but then you look at a word like ran and there's no obvious morpheme boundary like at all. Um, there's nothing that you can look at and say, what is the past tense? And there's nothing that you can look at and say, what is the root or what is the stem? Uh, this kind of data at the very, very lowest level suggests that, that the word ran is atomic. It's not decomposable. And there's lots and lots of data that suggests that there are words that aren't decomposable. Um, and then one of the big things is how much data is enough data to make you think that the morpheme doesn't exist. That it's uh, that it's an illusion in words like walked. Or an epiphenomenon have to be sciencey. <laughs> so and uh, one of the things that you know came up in uh, a previous episode and then kind of relates to this topic is this notion uh, and this is this occurs in both uh, word-based uh, approaches and uh, the morpheme-based approaches, but this question of what a of of syncretism, right? Um, particularly within with the you know that's when we're looking at a paradigm, um, and you know I got some questioners for, uh, question from some listeners, which is you know what do you, what the hell are you guys talking about when you're talking about syncretism? <laughs> yeah. Um, I get it. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to help us uh, understand this a little bit more um, and particularly how it, uh, how it bears on this question maybe of, of meta theory or not. Actually, I, I, th I, I think syncretism is huge, but in order for me to get to syncretism, if you're okay, I might take a little bit of a long walk. Is that, is that okay? Please take a long <laughs> walk. Okay. So uh, morphology as a theory, morphology is weird in um, the domain of linguistics. So when linguistics first got its feet underneath it, so say back in the times of the Grimm, Grimm brothers, morphology was most of linguistics. And then um, eventually, under when, Chomps when Chomsky and syntax started, uh, morphology just kind of started to become a subset of phonology and a subset of syntax. Um, uh, I think it's different from when you went to, to Arizona, but when I was at Arizona, you had to choose your major and your choices were syntax or phonology. And those of us who were, I think it changed while I was <laughs> right. there, but when I started, 
you, uh, I mean, maybe you could also do psycholinguistics, but it was, you were either a syntactician or a phonologist if you were doing right. uh, formal linguistics. And, and I, um, and I was a morphologist and I was confused. <laughs> like, I think actually I got my degree officially in syntax and that, uh, uh, for what it, for what it's worth. Um, I, I think I, I technically have a degree in syntax with a minor in semantics. <laughs> Uh, that sounds vaguely right. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. <laughs> um, and and that that is kind of representative of the field. I mean, Alec Moranz made that joke, which I'm sure has come up. Uh, Heidi may have said it. Where while linguists or while morphologists talk, linguists nap. Uh, that was definitely true for a long time. And then um, what has happened recently is morphology has kind of seen uh, a bit of a surge, r- roughly around the '90s, where it came to be something that people were thinking more and more about uh, really in the seventies is when um, in particular Morris Halley and Mark Aronoff started really making the field of morphology. But in the nineties, a big thing changed. And what that big thing changed was, was our realization that even I'm looking at the language files right now, cause I'm prepping class that even in language files, we have this idea that the lexicon comes first. You have the storage of words, and then the syntax is built around that. Uh, in the 90s, we started to realize that that was backwards, that morphology is probably not a generative system that builds meaning, but rather what it is is a system that expresses meaning. Uh, so meaning is built elsewhere and morphology's job is to express it in order basically to create an interface between morphosyntactic and semantic, I'm sorry, syntactic and semantic meaning and phonology. Morphology is the interface that does that. Uh, we call that today now realization theory or realizational models where morphology's job is to realize meanings instead of put them together and build them. So... What this means is we think today of the word walked or whatever, what have you, the form walked as expressing a root and expressing a, a past tense meaning. And RAN is doing that same job. It's expressing some kind of core concept and this formal uh, meaning of past. Um, as opposed to morphology back before the 90s was walked actually was had the meaning because you took you can't see my hands i'm i'm illustrating merge <laughs> um, uh, yeah that doesn't work as well on a no, podcast I mean, you know uh i mean all right everyone listening just picture dan putting his hands together hands, put, put, put your hands together uh, don't do that if you're driving though uh keep your hands on the wheel if you're yes. listening while you're driving so you put together it used to be the idea that we had with morphology is that meaning was the sum of its parts you had walk and you had t and you put them together and now you have something that is the sum of walk and t right that's what we thought morphology was. There's two bits of data that are really convincing uh, that tell us that this is not the right way of thinking about morphology. One is that morphology is uh, not very good at doing its job. (laughs) Uh, So there will be lots of meaning in a word that the morphology is not really signaling to us. Uh, so, for example, R in English as opposed to 
is and am, um, R expresses, uh, like, let's say, past or plural. It expresses present tense. It expresses, it can express second person or first person or third person. Um, it does, in the sentence, we are ready, R is expressing the meaning plural. It's expressing the meaning uh, second, first person. And it's expressing the meaning present. But R doesn't actually mean all those things. If it meant all those things, it couldn't be in these other environments. You couldn't also use it in you are and uh, they are, right? And y'all are. <laughs> you couldn't use it in all these other environments. <laughs> uh, so R has really radically little meaning. And it is being co-opted in all of these different environments because we don't need to have maximally contrastive, I don't know, copulas in all these different environments. It turns out we don't need it. The efficiency wins here, right? Um, right. So one of the things that we notice that this that one form doing multiple jobs all over the place uh, is kind of endemic <laughs> in language. Uh, and this one form doing multiple jobs is what is called syncretism in the um, in the field uh, in the field of morphology this comes from the idea that if you did if you did draw a paradigm of all the different forms multiple cells in a paradigm are ha, have the same form um, yes right and so if we if like, like if we drew out you know let, like if we took the English B forms for instance right. and we just said logically we would expect, you know, if this were a logical system, right. quote unquote, <laughs> we would we would expect that, you know, uh, every form in the plural would have a distinct form for right. R. You know, it would be we are uh, y'all uh, arm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and we don't right. see that. So the fact that R is the same across that system, it shows that it's a syncretic. Form. So if morphology were the way that we thought it was before the 90s, morphology would be information adding, right? So for every, for every bit of meaning that gets added, there should be a little morpheme that goes onto the word and adds that extra meaning, right? So you should have something on the end of to be or a, or a form of to be that tells you that it is singular or plural. And that tells you that it is present or past. And that tells you that it is um, uh, first person, second person, or third person. If you just do the math, uh, that means that for you should have 12 different forms for it to be in English. Mm -hmm. But we don't. We have are, we have were, we have was, and we have am and is. And that's it. So what is that? Five forms. <laughs> so instead of twelve, we, we the the work is distributed under five forms, right? Um, this this kind of uh, morphology, not uh, underrepresenting the information that it expresses, is the first thing that led us to think that morphology has to come after. The opposite is also a thing that led us to believe this, and this is. Um, uh, multiple exponents. So multiple exponents is a big fancy name, <laughs> but I will tell you this is when uh, one morpheme appears more than once um, in a word. So multiple exponents doesn't happen 
a lot of times in English, but it does happen in a couple of places. Uh, so, what is it? Swiffer is a is a picker upper, not a. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's Swiffer. That so, is uh, Swiffer the uh, the something the quicker picker upper. Picker upper. Like, the quicker picker upper. That's it. That's the motto. But, and I just want to I, I want to go back for a second because you said something really interesting. Uh, you said when one morpheme appears more than once. And here we're running into this this kind of technical uh, area where we use the term, as morphologists, we use the term morpheme to both sometimes express the sort of meaningful contribution and also the sort of phonological or morphological realization. So I should say uh, that this is a DM problem. <laughs> it is a DM. Uh, this problem. is not a. This is not, <laughs> not a. Uh, not a more a field of morphology problem. And the reason it's <laughs> no, it, it is it is a DM yes. problem. It is not so. And we we've also sometimes tried to say, well, well, these are morphs and these are morphemes, and right. no, it's just the problem we have in DM. Um, uh, so I will talk about if it, it, I, I will talk to you about. It, it, I, I'm lost in all the different balls I'm juggling here. Uh, but yeah, let's go back to the Swiffer. Let's talk about the Swiffer figure up. Yeah. And then I'll go back and I'll and talk about the morpheme to... problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the reason we have a, a problem with morphemes is in our name. It's distributed morphology. Obviously, we're going to have a bunch of different things we want to name morpheme because <laughs> it's yeah. distributed. Okay, so let's I go mean, ahead. Yeah, well, no. And I mean, linguists as we should be better at naming things, but we're the same field that we're like, Hey, we have this thing. It's case. Right. <laughs> oh, we have this other thing. that's very similar. Let's just call it case, but we'll make, let's, let's make it a capital. We'll capitalize C. it. Right? No one will, no one will ever get confused. By ever. That. Especially when like the one of them stops being a thing or one of them belongs to yeah. syntax and the other one belongs to morphology. But. Yeah, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, there's also case with the K." Right. So, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are terrible we are at naming really things at naming. as as a field. We we work on language, and we are the worst at naming. And things. then we have things like theta roll, and we're like, "What is the theta short for?" It's not super clear anymore. And also, aren't we going to be weirdly self like reverent by being cute and calling them theta rolls instead of say T rolls because they're spelled with T's? Yeah. No, we're the worst. <sighs> Beyond being no. the worst, let yeah. me let me bring about multiple exponents. Yeah, go please. So do. multiple exponents. Let, let's not. You're right. I won't use morpheme here. Let's say some kind of marker on a word tells you something. Uh, tells you information. So in the word oxen, I'm using oxen in particular because it's got in on the end of it. That little in bit tells you that we're talking about the plural and ox tells you that you're talking about, you know, the animal ox, right? Uh, but then when you look at a word like children, what is it that's telling you about the plural? Well, one thing is that the vowel I has changed to I. Another thing is that little R marker, which is also in things like kinder. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that in marker, like on oxen. So there are three different reflexes in the word children for this plural thing. Plural shows up three times on this word, but it doesn't add. It's not like three times as plural as oxen, right? It's not, it's not like once you've pluralized it and then you more plural, then the thing is more, more plural and even more plural, right? Uh, the, the, the meanings don't actually stack up. It's just... 
Which, I mean, it, it could be, I mean, there there are languages that have forms of plural like that, where you can really kind of augment a plural. Right, you could. But, you know, that's not, that's not what's but happening. definitely not like, English. That's, that's the critical <laughs> right. thing. Yeah, exactly. And then the same thing is happening in the picker-upper with Swiffer, right? The, the two errs on the verb pick up are doing exactly the same job. They're, they're both realizing I'm turning this thing from being a verb into being a noun. And it's just showing up in two different places. My favorite example of this, and if I remember correctly, you're going to have this too, but maybe I'll, I'm wrong. Uh, my plural of you is you guys. Um, and when I make that possessive, that is your guys's. So it's your guys's turn. Do you have that? Uh, yeah, when I would say you guys, I would definitely say your right. guys's. So, there, so that when you say your guys's, you have that possessive marker is ending up in two places. The, at the end of your and at the end of guys, right? So your guys is, is, is where that possessive marker happens. This, again, is not more possessive than, say, you guys is, right? Uh, it is right. just an extra marker. This is, this is multiple exponents, also called um, extended exponents. So exponents is a fancy way of saying realization. So the, the possessive uh, marker is realized in two different places of the word. So morphology is clearly not information adding because if it is, if it was, it was really bad at this. In the case of syncretism, <laughs> it's not adding enough information. And in the case of e extended exponents, it's adding too much information, right? Uh, so we realize instead morphology is just doing what it can to express some underlying meaning. And sometimes it does it in a way that is efficient and uses a form that could be used in multiple different places. And sometimes it does it in a way that's inefficient and does it more than once. The more than once usually has some kind of interesting explanation behind it. But the, the besides efficiency, like children has all those markers because it's a very old and very frequent word. Right. So uh, have I explained why realization <laughs> have, we, have we done that <laughs> yes uh, i think we covered that and i i feel like we talked about the the problem with the morphine i you know i kind of lost track <laughs> maybe we talked about the the issue with dm and and the double use of the the term morphine uh, we didn't. I didn't so let me loop around to it right now so let me okay okay now that we've kind of set up the world of morphological theory um let's talk about like what makes dm dm there are three things, and we lose sight of this all the time, but there are three things that make DM special. Uh, DM is kind of the combination of three different principles. Uh, the first is what we already talked about, that it's uh, a realizational model. It thinks of morphology as, um, as expressing meaning rather than deriving meaning. Um, in particular, it does it where different forms are competing with each other. Uh, they, they, if you go to go say a sentence and it has a copula in it, you have these five different is forms, is, are, were, was, and they are all competing with each other in to do which one expresses it, which one ends up getting to be in the sentence. Uh, language is a big game where you want to play <laughs> and you try to win <laughs> yeah. by getting in. Um, we, uh, this competition model is adjudicated through what we in DM call the subset principle, but the rest of linguistics calls the elsewhere principle. 
which is just the pick the best one for the job. And uh, uh, if there isn't one that does the job perfectly, pick the next best one uh, for the job. And you'll eventually end up with one. It's like, I can do anything. Uh, yeah, you'll end up with uh, more or less a D. Yeah, so in English, you have this affix ing that I've been studying for like 10 years. That it... I've also studied it for <laughs> yes, a lot. Yes, you and I have, we both both have done a lot of... <laughs> uh, ing shows up wherever the hell it wants to. I'm sorry I've said hell in your podcast, <laughs> but I'm a linguist. <laughs> uh, uh, I had to mark the last one as explicit because of uh, how much uh, Megan and okay, I cool. So, uh... <laughs> so I don't feel bad about saying hell. Um uh, Ing shows up where the wherever the hell it wants to because it is so radically underspecified for content. Uh, it doesn't mean much, so it can go virtually anywhere. Um, I mean, I'm oversimplifying. It does mean a little bit of something. Otherwise, it would be all over the place. But it doesn't mean right. very much. Right. But it shows up on nominals. It shows up in, in the verbal system. It shows up on adjectives. It really does. It is, you know, and we can argue about whether or not it's the same ing or not. But yeah, it's there's this there's this feet there's uh, this morpheme that shows up Just over and over everywhere. Again. And, <laughs> yeah. So and you yeah. expect this if the the thing that is adjudicating your competition is the elsewhere principle. You expect something that is a default to show up like just everywhere, right? Um, uh, so that is one, that is how we do realization in DM. The other thing that makes us different is that we believe in morphemes. <laughs> so the, the contrast here is, do you believe in morphemes or do you believe in words? I talked briefly about like why you might believe in words and where the people who believe in words tend to work, which is Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some reasons why you would want to believe in morphemes, even though you can't find morpheme boundaries in words like ran um, or say divinity, <laughs> right? Uh, reasons you might want to believe in mor- morphemes is uh, these cases like ran and divinity where you can't find morpheme boundaries are actually quite rare. Most of morphology has kind of clear morpheme boundaries that have clear phonological effects that have clear processing effects. Most of the time their morphology looks like it's just take two things and stick them together. The fancy science term for that is concatenation where you take two things and you mush them together. Most of morphology. And when I say most, I don't mean like 60% or 55%. I mean like in the nineties, you can't really count this, but (laughs) but in the, in the nineties of percent of morphology is just stick two things together. So if you want a theory that explains the generalization, the generalization is that morphology sticks stuff together. Uh, and so you will want to believe in morphemes for that reason. Uh, I think you talked about this with uh, Carlos. Once you've got a theory of just sticking these things together, that looks an awful lot like syntax, where syntax is just stick two things together and like name yeah. the thing. <laughs> so <laughs> if you believe in, morph- in morphemes, you can also believe in morphosyntax, right? Uh, which is that there is one underlying mechanism that does both morphology and syntax. There's a principle of meta theory or philosophy of science called the principle of parsimony. Very often 
it is quoted wrong by Spock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this also referred to as Occam's right, this Razor. Is, this is Occam's Razor. Um, so Spock will often say something like, "All things being equal, the simplest explanation tends to be the right one." This is not the principle of parsimony. This is not Occam's Razor. <laughs> um, Occam's Razor actually says, "Given equal explanatory adequacy." Uh, choose the theory with the fewest assumptions. Um, and it, the theories care about uh, this. When you're adjudicating this rule, uh, philosophy of science cares about how big the assumption is. That your grammar has two completely separate components, one for syntax and one for morphology, that are doing very similar things is a major violation of the principle of parsimony. So, but go ahead. Now, it, oh, no, I mean... It wouldn't be a violation, for instance, if morphology and syntax looked very right. different. Like, you know, but the, the fact is, because at least from what we see so far, they look to be doing very similar things. It does seem to suggest that, you know, the fact that there's so much redundancy in the system it is why we would make an argument from parsing. And this is exactly the bit. This is exactly the the core about why there are two different approaches to morphology because there are these corner places like ran and children where morphology doesn't look like syntax right it looks like something different so the question is these little corner cases that we're talking about this place where it's the not 90 percent whatever the less than 10 percent <laughs> these corner cases yeah. are these exceptions to the generalization that morphology is uh, is concatenative or are these counterexamples? And now you get into the unbelievable quagmire of what's the difference between an exception and a counterexample. But if you think these are counterexamples, then you're not violating parsimony by, by assuming that morphology is a different thing. If you think these are exceptions and have exceptional explanations, then uh, you would be violating parsimony to assume a different mechanism. And that is why there are two totally different branches of morphology, whether or not these things are exceptions or counterexamples. Right. So we think they're exceptions. And so we believe in morphemes and we have a morphosyntactic module and everything is elegant. We love us some elegance <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> everything is simple. All of language comes down to take two things, put them together and then label the new thing. <laughs> uh, so that is that is what the morpheme hypothesis buys us. But in order for it to buy us that, the cost we pay is that we have to say that all these weird things like ran, which have which fall under a heading called stem allomorphy, um, all these weird things are exceptional. And it is not a coincidence that when I am acting like a morphologist and not a meta theorist, I work on stem allomorphy. <laughs> so because that's the weird. That's the weird pile. That's the hard pile. Uh, so that was two things. One, it's realizational. The other is morphemes. The third one is actually key to distributed morphology, and this gets to why we are bad at naming things. Um, for a long time, when we were trying to decide what a word was, uh, for like the history of linguistics, when trying to define a word we would run across a problem that there were kind of three different definitions for word. One was the phonological domain, which we are very confident exists. There's a phonological domain of a word. Another was the syntactic domain, 
which we are confident exists in the sense that their syntax has terminal nodes and those are things, right? right? And the other one is semantic, the semantic domain, the place where meaning exists, <laughs> uh, 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 the, the lexical meaning exists. We're really confident that all th three of these things called word existed. And for years, <laughs> we tried to say that those were the same thing. Those were all words. <laughs> because of course we would say that because we spell those things all the same and we put spaces on either side of those things uh, sometimes, sometimes maybe <laughs> sometimes we'll use a hyphen sometimes we just won't care we could be german and just right. shove whole noun phrases into one thing um but uh for a long time we tried to make sure that these three things the morph the syntactic notion of word the phonological notion of word and the phonological notion of word. Did I say, I say, I say phonological twice. Right, you said, uh, <laughs> you said phonological twice. I you meant, meant semantic. semantic notion of word. We're all the same. We're all located in the same domain. What distributed morphology does is give up on that fight. We had that fight for decades. Distributed morphology goes, I give up. These are clearly not all the same domain. There's just no way for us to get them to work together. And instead creates three dif distinct domains. Uh, one domain is the little functional or uh, little formal meaning bits that are in a tree, like past tense or, I don't know, perfect aspect, right? Um, the other bit is the sound strings, uh, the actual sounds that you pronounce stuff with, uh, to in the case of the past tense. And then the other one is the meaning bits. Uh, uh, the lexical bits. Uh, we we have a name for each of these lists, kind of. <laughs> we call the the list of sound things the vocabulary, and we call the list of uh, semantics. We call that the encyclopedia. We don't really agree on what we call the list of syntax bits. Um, right. It's when people refer to it, it's often called enumeration, but it doesn't. We don't agree on what we call that list. Um, and well, and yeah, some people might include the, the functional bits in the numeration. Yeah, it's, it's it gets confused. But importantly, we gave up on trying to have one list and instead had three lists. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I can give a I think I can give a really nice example of this, mm -hmm. uh, which is like an idiom like "kick the bucket." Oh yeah, which very clearly has, you know, encyclopedically when you take that inter uh, that idiomatic interpretation. It has semantically a singular lexical, uh, singular semantic meaning, which is die, but has a bunch of separate, what we would call words that are obviously separate syntactic nodes yeah. and obviously um, also separate, you know, phonological units. So, but then semantically, it's, it's a single. So unit. the syntax for sure thinks Kit the Bucket is at least uh, three or four bits, depending on what you're going to do there, right? Phonology for sure considers that to be at least two bits, depending on what you do with the, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And semantics considers that to be one bit. So, yeah, so exactly. this is this is classic evidence of these, thing, these lists can't be the same thing. Um, this is another example of this is transmission. It's a famous one that Alec uses a lot. Uh, transmission, just semantics of this, like most people don't know what a transmission does in a car. It's just like... A bit. They have no reason to think it transmits anything, right? So it's just like a right. memorized bit with one meaning. Um, uh, in phonology, it 
may have two domains, and in syntax, it looks like it really clearly has three domains in it. Right. So the trans, the mit, and the shun in syntax. So, uh, so this is a good example of a place where these are what we, what you and me are talking about right now are idioms. <laughs> idioms are yeah, a place where there are mismatches in the number of domains for each of these three lists. Right. Yeah. And, and, and there's a bunch of different ways in which idioms like the, this can, uh, you know, there's a, a whole plethora of research on the ways in which idioms that, that can mismatch in different yeah. ways. Um, and like kick the bucket is one of the more extreme mismatches, but there's, there's a, uh, they, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, this is, but yeah, the, uh, I, a lot of the other, a, a word-based approach, I think would struggle in some ways with some of these, uh, the, the semantic, uh, 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 Right. Yeah, it, word-based approaches uh, struggle with anything where those li where the number of lists can't align on one, <laughs> where it can't come down to just this is one thing. There are other examples of this, uh, like portmanteau is a good example. Um, uh, so uh, in Spanish, del is such an example. Uh, in French, it's do. It's the same thing, um, where you have de and l end up next to each other, and they get pronounced with one thing, del. Uh, how do you do this in a syntax where each terminal node is, uh, or, where, or where each terminal node is supposed to be its own word, and del is obviously a determiner and a preposition at the same time? <laughs> so uh, word-based models have a hard time dealing with these kinds of weird mappings. Um, but they're okay with occasionally running into the weird mappings in the same way that we're occasionally uh, okay with running into stem allomorphy and being perplexed. I, that's where the literature ends up being. So you'll see lots of literature dealing with portmanteaus in word-based approaches. Um, so now looping around to what you're talking about with morphemes, now you know why we get confused on a morpheme. Because <laughs> morpheme could name the member of the first list, or it could be named the member of the, uh, the first list, which is the morphosyntactic features. Or it could name the second list, which is the phonological expression. Or it can name the third list, which is the semantic bit. Uh, in the theory of morphology, morpheme usually in the the broader theory of morphology, morpheme usually means uh, sound meaning mapping, which would mean that what we should be calling a morpheme is the members of the second list, the phonology list. However, we don't do that. We call those vocabulary items because we are trying to be broken. Uh, Instead, I think this starts with David Embick's work, though I can't be absolutely sure. We named the, the bit of the thing inside of the first list, the formal bit we started calling morpheme. Uh, but we're not at all consistent. And you could read any paper in DM and find morpheme to, to mean any number, any, any member of any of these lists. Yes. <laughs> I think in, uh, like, in... Heidi's textbook, the English words, she tries to make a morpheme morph breakdown. Right. And I think that I, I I feel like that is something she tried to do in that in that book, but I could be mistaken. That that might be that might exist elsewhere as well. So but, me and Jason did Yeah, we're we are very inconsistent about this. Me and Jason did something shameful. <laughs> and uh we tried to make a distinction between a listeme, which will be the phonology bit and a morpheme, and then we tried to coin the word monolistomicity, uh, 
but that was shameful and it didn't yeah. take <laughs> no listeam is also yeah listeam exists yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a mess list, it's yeah. a mess so uh so there you go All there's right. our mess of dm i think i hope i did did a good job of explaining <laughs> yeah, why we well, live in a mess <laughs> we do you did um I, I i think at this point i just want to give you a moment to if you have any final thoughts for us um if not i think i've taken enough of your time today and I just want to thank you. I, I don't. For, I don't uh, have any final thoughts other than I. I hope I got to everything. I don't think I mentioned what fusion and fission are, for example. You know, I, I think it's okay. I think it's okay that we don't. I we don't throw fusion and fission onto this. Fire right. We we made point. a bit of a fire. <laughs> so uh, I think we can leave it there. Um, I again, I just I do want to thank you so much for uh, uh, spending all this time with us this afternoon. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and uh, I gotta say, honestly, uh, it was very good to talk to you and hear your voice again. Uh, it was, yeah. it's good, it's been a bit, a bit a long time. It has been. Well, we saw each other, I guess, in January. Yes. And uh, it's been a long time, except for that time that we saw each other at that conference recently, yes. <laughs> which was like right before the pandemic. <laughs> yes, right before everything. Uh, the world. In exploded. fact, I was thinking anyway. right before we started this, and uh, now you're all your podcasts are going to know this. That this is coincidentally the last the, the last time I saw you was also the last time I trimmed my beard because I broke my trimmer. <laughs> <laughs> I broke my trimmer before we you went know, to lunch, and I haven't gotten a chance to go buy a new one yet. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure you're not going to be the only person with a massive pandemic beard at the end of this. Yeah, um, I don't think so. I think there's going to be a lot of pandemic. I know, like like playoff beards, only bigger. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, and a lot of places are, are shutting down. I mean, here we have all, uh, you know, barber shops and salons are shut down. So yeah. like my hair is definitely going to be pretty mountain man-ish uh, by the end of this. It's a, uh, cause, if it weren't bad enough that, that, that the whole world, the whole field of science thinks of linguists as the slobs. Now we're all going to be like, <laughs> long haired and bearded. Well, I, it's not the whole world of science because like the hard sciences, they're pretty, they, you know, they're the ones that they're pretty slow. Right. No, it's the social scientists it, that think of us as slobs. Social sciences and especially humanities right. because we're kind of at the intersection of social sciences and humanities. Humanities are the people that show up in like dark suits and like uh, really nice, you know, everything has been like tailored and fresh haircuts and all this stuff. And the linguists are the ones that are like, I just pulled this out of the bottom of my hamper. Where it was tied um, up in a rubber band, apparently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who wants to hear about Malagasy? And uh, so, yeah, we do have a bit of a reputation. Yeah, we do. All right, brother. Anyway. All right, man. I will catch you later. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everyone. Our next planned guest is Adam Usishkin of the University of Arizona. Uh, Adam and I will be discussing some of the issues surrounding templatic morphology. Uh, again, this is a scheduled planned guest. Uh, a lot can change given the sort of circumstances surrounding COVID-19. Uh, but uh, I hope to have that episode for you soon. Thank you. Thank you.